Today's reading is Romans chapter 7, verse 7 to 25, which can be found on page 113 of the Church Bible. It's page 113, Romans chapter 7, verses 7 to 25. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced me in every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment, put me to death. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Thank you, Jane, very much. I wonder, are there, um, are there times when you really struggle in the Christian life? Same old temptations come back. They all seem so familiar, almost uh, routine as you cave into them yet again. I mean, you want to do right, but gossip, for instance, it's so easy, isn't it? Especially when everyone else is doing it. And, uh, uh, and so is resentment. And, uh, and so is that accumulation of really, frankly, unnecessary purchases. And uh, so is the lying and the jealousy and... Uh, uh, and so is going to where you don't 
really want to go to on the internet or going where you don't really want to go to on your way home from work and so on. And, uh, uh, and so is coveting someone else's looks or someone else's house and so on. And the list goes on, doesn't it? And sometimes you're okay with God's help. And uh, but lots of times, aren't there, when, when we don't do okay. And there are lots of times, aren't there, when we don't even really try, to be honest. And, uh, and then we're tempted to despair over the state of our Christian life and, and we think, well, will I ever make progress as a Christian? Well, I've got good news for you this morning. And the good news is this. You're perfectly normal. And let's pray as we turn to Romans 7 this morning. Father, that's, uh, uh, sure as Jane read that, uh, we would have been thinking, especially in the first part, oh, that's a bit complicated, and I don't really grasp that perhaps, and, uh, and then what is that second part about? But we pray, Lord, you'd shine uh, the light of your spirit into our minds and hearts to help us to understand this rightly and truly, and apply these words of yours to our lives, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. So it's uh, page 1133, 1134 in our church Bibles. Now, first of all, we need to do a little groundwork because there are two issues here that we're looking at this morning. The first one is about God's law. I mean, these two issues, they're closely related, but they're, they're distinct at the same time. And the first one's about God's law. That is God's rule for live, God's rules for living God's way. And, uh, and what part God's laws, God's rules play in our lives now? That's verses 7 to 13. And then the second and related issue is this. Uh, and it's all about this perfectly normal daily, hourly Christian struggle with sin. And we still sin, don't we? Well, why is that? Why is it such a struggle? Well, we'll come to that a little bit later on, because first, we're going to look at this uh, this first question. And uh, I want to say this. It is that God's law is good. And that's verses 7 to 13. <clears throat> that is God's instructions for living life God's way, for living in a way which pleases God. And those instructions are good. Now, it's a tad confusing here because the word law is used in three different ways in this passage. Normally, it says, uh, uh, for instance, in, um, uh, well, at the beginning, at the part of the the passage, is the law, verse 7, is the law sinful? Um, And it's talking about God's instructions for living life's God's way. It's summed up, it's a focused in the Ten Commandments, for instance, that we find in Exodus chapter 20. uh, And uh, and Jesus' two commandments, which are a, a summary of God's law, which we find in Matthew 22, where he quotes Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. Uh, and Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's God's law. OK, that's the kind of thing that we're thinking of. Um, and that's what law normally means here in Romans chapter seven. God's instructions for living life God's way. But also the word law is used in another way. Uh, look at verse 21, for instance, here. So I find this law at work and there it means uh, a principle. But then there's also a third way of understanding it, verses 23 and 25. And uh, there, it's best to translate the word law as force 
or power. So, for instance, in verse, towards the end of verse 25, the power of sin is probably a better way or an easier way to, uh, to understand it. Just be aware, law usually here means God's law, God's instructions for living life here, God's way, but it doesn't always mean that. <clears throat> and, uh, uh, and, but we're, uh, but we're asking the question, uh, uh, the same question in verse 7 here. So you look in verse 7, uh, and, um, and this question is posed, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For, take an example, I would have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So, uh, uh, so there's a short answer and a long answer. The short answer is, certainly not. And then he goes on and explains more about it. The longer answer at the end of verse 7 and on to uh, verse 13, which tells us what the law does. And two, two things here. The first thing is the law exposes sin. God's instructions for living life God's way exposes sin. That's a bit, uh, you know, so for instance in verse 7, I wouldn't know what coveting really was if the law hadn't said, don't covet. So, uh, and Tim Keller, pastor in New York, says, the law defines sin. It tells us what sin is. Now, uh, uh, so coveting, for instance, 10th commandment, number 10 in Exodus chapter 20, do not covet. Uh, and it's the only commands um, which isn't just external. It's the only command which must involve what is going on in our minds and our hearts. And it's discontent with what God has given you. God says, I want you to be contented with what I've given you. And uh, so, for instance, you might be thinking, I'd love to have more beauty. Or I'd love to have more wealth. Or more approval. Or more popularity. And God has written down in his Ten Commandments, uh, and he's included this one on coveting. He says, look, don't cover. I don't want you to cover to want more than I've given you. I want you to be content with what I've given you. Because in the end, in the end, if you're discontented with that, you're going to be discontented with me. Because I gave you all these things in the first place. And if you covet, it will harm your relationship with me. I mean, you may have thought it was okay to have a desire for more and more and more and spend your life seeking to fulfill that desire. But there's a commandment and it's not okay because it damages your relationship with God and actually it damages your relationships with people, all sorts of people in this world. It's sin. You see, the law exposes sin. It's like shining a spotlight onto these things in our lives and helping us to see it for what it really is. Now, take a mundane illustration. Um, we were uh, uh, in France, but near Geneva. I got about four hours sleep the night before, and uh, we were driving down near Geneva, uh, so quite a long drive down from Calais and so on. And, uh, um, uh, and we'd been doing the usual, you know, 130 k's on the French auto route. We got some road work, so I assumed that, that the speed limit had dropped down to 100, so I dropped down to about 95. We were going along, plodding along with everyone else. Um, perhaps slightly faster than other people. And there was a gendarme just over there. And I thought, oh, 
how nice to see him. And we carried on going, and then he flagged me down and pulled us into the side. Now, we, I had a good chat with the gendarme, because England were playing France that day, and I was wearing my England rugby shirt. He was a French rugby supporter. We had a good chat about it. Sadly, that night, the French won. But anyway, the more important thing on illustration was, he then, after we chatted about the rugby, said, uh, do you know what the speed limit is here? And I said, yeah, it's about 100, isn't it? He said, no, it's 70. And he revealed my sin, that I was breaking the speed limit. And I coughed up the 90 euros or whatever it was that we had to pay for breaking the speed limit. And, uh, and that was it. I thought I was doing fine. But the law, as he explained it to me, revealed my sin. The law exposes sin. And in return, sin exploits the law. Now, what does that mean? Well, sin uses God's law to provoke evil. So if you look at verses 8 and 9 here, there's a kind of perversity about it. It says there, but sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. There's a perversity about it. We desire to do something, don't we, because it's forbidden. I mean, is it just me? I see a private no-entry sign. I just want to go and have a look. Why have they said it's private? I'd like to know, you know. And it was, uh, it was Augustine, early church uh, Christian leader guy, said this. Uh, near our, oh, I told the story. He said, uh, near our vineyard, there was a pear tree loaded with fruit. Though the, though the fruit was not particularly attractive, either in color or taste, I and some other youths conceived the idea of shaking the pears off the tree and carrying them away. We set out late at night and stole all the fruit we could carry. And this was not to feed ourselves. We may taste a few, but then we threw the rest to the pigs. Our real pleasure was simply in doing something that was not allowed. I had plenty of better pears of my own. I only took these ones in order I might be a thief. Once I'd taken them, I threw them away. And all I tasted in them was my own iniquity, which I enjoyed very much. I mean, you, you could see verses 8 and 9 here, Francis, it's a bit like a cartoon where sin is a sleeping monster. And the law uh, tells a man to go and to kill the monster, and then the monster wakes up, and he doesn't want to be killed, and instead he kills the man. Or going back to coveting in verse 8 there. We're told not to covet, and then we find ourselves coveting more and more, don't we? That's a danger of this morning's sermon, isn't it? That we will covet more and more. And the law, the law saying don't do this, it provokes a reaction. And it's a temptation from the devil. Trying to get us to covet more and more, and because we're weak, we do. But the law itself is still good. So you see in verse 10, the law was intended to bring life. But because of our hearts, it brings death. Now, that little phrase there in verse 10, it's a paraphrase. It's just a short little, it's a shortening, it's a shorthand paraphrase. It means the law intended to bring life, not by obeying it, so much as by uh, showing that we don't and we can't obey it. So we need a saviour. 
who's going to save us from failing to obey the law. That's how the law brings life. Not by saying, you can be perfect, because none of us can. But it reveals our sin to us so we can say, I know I need a saviour who's going to save you from all my law breaking, save me from all my law breaking. And so the law, which is good, is reacted against by our sinful hearts and the temptations of the devil. And we see ourselves more and more in need of a saviour. And a saviour, of course, is what we've got in Jesus. A wonderful saviour who died for us lawbreakers. Bearing our punishment for breaking the law. So that we could be forgiven and live with him forever. Where it will be our delight in heaven. To live and to keep God's law. And in verse 13 here, it sums up what Paul is saying. It says, the law exposes sin and sin exploits the law. It is exposed as sin even more. And so sin becomes or is clearly seen to be. That's what it means. Is clearly seen to be utterly sinful. One of the guys I read this week said this, the good law exposes utterly sinful sin, which exploits the good law. So for us, we all, therefore, we need to see sin for what it is. Evil. Bad. Utterly sinful. It's not a white lie. If you tell a little lie, there's no such thing as a little lie. It is part of your heart's evil rebellion against our good and loving gods. Or to go back to coveting again. It's not just a bit of, say, overspending, because you got carried away in wanting the same coat as your friend have has. It's part of your heart's evil rebellion against our good and loving gods. We need to see it for what it is. As commentator said, the law is very good in its willful corruption of God's life-giving the law. The depravity of sin is laid bare. So that's verses 7 to 13. It's a bit heavy, isn't it? But I hope you're still with me. But we're going to get very practical now as we look at verses uh, 14 to 24. Now, we've just been talking about God's law, that it's good, that it exposes our sin, but that our sin exploits the law in return, if you like. And it tempts us to sin more. And it simply means we're all going to struggle with sin in our lives. And we all do, don't we? I do. The Bible tells me that you do. And when I talk to you, I know that you do as well. I mean, I have, I have to say, very occasionally met people who think that they're perfect. And I once knew someone who tried to convince their small group that Anna and I were in that her uh, small uh, son was perfect. We tried to convince her that he wasn't, but she wouldn't have it. But we all knew that her little boy was anything but perfect. It was quite an amusing little episode, really. Well, let's be honest. Look at verse 15. Let's read verse 15 here. Uh, Here it says, um, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. That's you and me, isn't it? 
That's just you and me. It's our daily experience. Now, there's been loads of debate over Romans chapter 7. Uh, is this the Apostle Paul talking about before he was a Christian? No. Is this the Apostle Paul talking about just before he became a Christian, when he was under conviction of sin? No. Is this the Apostle Paul when he was an immature Christian? No. This is the Apostle Paul and his current experience as a mature Christian. If you like, I can go through all the arguments for it, but there's not enough time, okay? But ask me afterwards if you want. But let's be clear. This is talking about Paul. He says me. He says I. He's talking about himself, and he's talking about himself as a mature Christian. Okay, you can look at verse 19, for instance. This is Paul, a mature Christian. I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I want, let's get this right, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And it, to say this is Paul's mature experience as a Christian, it fits in with the whole passage. And it may be uncomfortable, But actually, personally, I want to say I find that really encouraging. Because this is Paul the Apostle, his personal experience as a mature Christian, and it chimes with me. And I can see that as well. It's only as my experience as well. And more and more as I as I grow older as a Christian. I want to serve God. Paul wants to serve God and do good. He has a high view of the law here. He has a realistic view of himself. Look at verse 18. This is Paul the Apostle. And if you're a Christian, this will be your experience too. The struggle with sin. It's a sign of life. It's a sign of spiritual life. Only a genuine Christian would be bothered in this way. Only a genuine Christian will genuinely want to obey God's. The struggle itself is a sign of life. If you struggle, be encouraged. If you don't struggle, be worried. If you don't struggle, then you ask what to yourself, you ought to ask yourself some questions like, am I reading my Bible? Am I allowing God access uh, to my life? Have I actually seared my conscience by repeatedly telling myself this sin isn't too bad? Well, actually, you used to say that, but now you say it isn't sin at all. And now you've begun to say, I think I'm probably doing okay as a Christian. But are you? Our normal experience as Christian believers should be what we see in Romans 7. Should be verses 21 to 23. Um, actually, look at verse 21 to 23. Uh, it's a bit confusing because of the different uses of the word law there. So I'm going to read this out slowly, but I'm going to change the word law to fit in uh, with the, uh, um, the, the different understandings of that that I mentioned earlier on. This is what the Christian life is like. So verse 21. I find this principle at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my being, I delight in God's instructions for living life God's way. Verse 23. But I see another force at work in me, waging war against the power of my mind 
and making me a prisoner of the force of sin within me. A guy called Chris Thrash, he came to do our uh, uh, church weekend away years ago, didn't he? And he wrote this in one of his books. It used to be me as a whole who did evil. Now it's me wanting to go God's way, but struggling within dwelling sin. God has invaded my life, but the invasion is not yet complete. There's no place within the human is untouched by indwelling sin. I feel like a freed prisoner of war. I'm now back out of prison and on the right side, but the enemy keeps sending raiding parties to try and take me back to the old prison. So we struggle. We fight. And the Christian life is a struggle with sin. But don't be worried. Keep on fighting and don't give up. Right? Don't be worried. Keep on fighting and don't give up. Why? Well, because of our third point. And it's this. Oh, sorry, I should put that there. We all struggle with sin. And then the third point is this. We're winners in the end. We're winners in the end. Look at verse 25. Paul's conclusion. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of God. And then look at chapter 8 and verse 1. You need to see this, having just read chapter 7. You need to see this in the light of what I've just said. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to know that. Now, there's a huge change of tone from verses uh, 24 to beginning of verse 25. The end of verse 24 in chapter 7, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And the answer... Verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, because Jesus died for us, Jesus lives for us, and we're, we're heading for heaven where all sin will, from, in the whole universe will be eradicated forever, and there'll be no temptation, and there'll be no devil, and there'll be no sin ever again. We can live for Jesus now, who by his Spirit will help us in that fight and bring us to that point of glory and wonder and our home in paradise that he talks about at the beginning of verse 25. That you can be sure, absolutely certain. But for now, don't rely on the law at all to change you. Let the law of God point out your sin. And expect sin to fight back in its perverse way and tempt you to sin and to want to sin even more. And don't be surprised at the struggle. And don't be discouraged by the struggle. And ask God's help and his grace day by day to be faithful in the struggle. And rejoice that you're perfectly normal. And let's help one another be confident in this struggle, to be confident in Jesus and to say along with Paul, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray together.
Father, we thank you that the law is good and the law is here to expose our sin, to show us what we're like, to show us that we are lawbreakers in your sight. And Lord, thank you that in this fight, this struggle that Paul describes here, he knows that there is where we'll be winners in the end. Lord, please keep us going. Please keep our eyes fixed on you. Please help us day by day and hour by hour. Lord, we know we'll get tripped up from time to time. That's the Christian life. But we pray, Lord, that you would help us to keep on coming back to you, keep on confessing our sins, and keep on turning to you for help that we're going to take the next step with you, we pray. Lord, thank you for Jesus, and thank you for our wonderful hope and the great wonderful truth in that very next verse in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen.